Hi everyone, I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Michael Check, who recently joined us for a webinar to discuss a novel CRISPR-based cell therapy, which enhances adipose tissue browning as a treatment for metabolic disease. Mike Check is the Isidore and Fanny Foxman Professor at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, where he was founding chair of the program in molecular medicine. The Czech Laboratory applies RNAi and CRISPR-based technologies to address mechanisms of insulin signal transduction, metabolic regulation, and insulin resistance in obesity and type 2 diabetes. Let's jump right in. First question, Dr. Czech, you showed that beijing of white adipose tissue is blocked by denervation, but your lab has also shown that immune cells can play a role. So how is this coordinated? Yeah, excellent question. Uh, Indeed, we have shown that a beijing phenomenon that can be induced by a knockout of uh, fatty acid synthase in this particular case, as well as other labs have shown this, can induce a beijing. And in our lab, we've been able to show that this occurs even in denervated uh, adipose tissue. We've tracked this down, again, uh, work by a number of people in the lab, uh, spearheaded by Felipe Henriques, has shown that indeed immune cells are involved and the immune cells um, are likely collaborating with adipocytes, but other cell types as well. So this is a complicated uh, situation and we're in the throes of trying to identify factors between that uh, communicate between the adipocytes uh, and the immune cells, and in particular, factors that are secreted by immune cells and perhaps can directly modulate UCP1 regulation. But I think uh, in summary, I think it's important to recognize that under physiological conditions in terms of cold exposure, the innervation by the sympathetic uh, nerves in particular are absolutely required for the beijing. So that physiologically, if the immune cells are involved, and they do seem to be, many labs again have contributed to this, they probably are interacting with or in addition to the um, sympathetic nervous system. Fantastic. Great answer. Next question. As far as adipose beijing or increasing brown adipose tissue in human is concerned, is it your understanding that chronic mild cold exposure or uh, short, more frequent or, or short, frequent, more extreme exposures are more effective? Well, at least in mouse experiments, um, the cold exposure as as uh, short as a day or so already shows the beginnings of the Beijing process. But this continues to get uh, more and more extreme over, for example, a week or even two weeks of cold exposure. So the longer term cold exposure does give you more extensive Beijing and activation of the thermogenic process. Excellent. Would overexpression of adiponectin cause the same metabolic effect as increasing white adipose tissue browning? We don't feel that adiponectin is a strong cause of Beijing. There may be effects that it exerts, but again, compared to cold exposure, I'm not aware of effects of adiponectin that would would be as strong an inducement of Beijing than the normal cold-induced sympathetic nervous system activation. Perfect. Next question here, is the effect of NRIP1 knockout in adipocytes additive to cyclic AMP signaling to upregulate UCP1? Yeah, excellent question. Manuela in the lab has worked on this system as others have as well. 
And the bottom line is that the NRIP1 pathway, which regulates so many different genes, is a very strong browning effect, but it's pretty much independent of the effect of the cyclic AMP signaling system. So cyclic AMP signaling also induces browning by independent pathways. And one of the most exciting findings that we have is that the two together are quite synergistic in inducing browning and beijing. And so we think there's a lot of potential for us to combine um, the activities of these two pathways in our future experiments to enhance the therapeutic effect. Fantastic. Next question here. Say, hi, Mike. Thanks for a great talk. Do you find any depots that are innervated by sympathetic neurons, but do not see a significant increase in beige adipocytes upon cold exposure or milieu that induces beijing? And are omental or visceral fat depots poorly innervated by sympathetic neurons? And would that explain differences between visceral and subcutaneous beijing? Yeah, very good point. I perhaps should have even mentioned. Yes, the visceral adipose tissue, so the gonadal adipose tissue, for example, in a mouse, shows much less beijing than the subcutaneous adipose tissue under these conditions. And that may have to do with the sympathetic nervous system and the innervation. But I think it's very complicated because there are so many other factors that are involved in the beijing process. So I think this is a question that is a really important one for future studies. And we need to be looking more carefully at the details of the sympathetic innervations and the coordination with other cell types. Fantastic. Here's a a great question here. Does it matter where in the mouse the implantations are placed to attain the optimal effect? Yeah, it's again a good question. This hasn't been fully addressed. There are, there's more work to be done. I I think uh, Sylvia Carvera's laboratory has done some really nice work related to this, but I think there's still a lot more to be learned. I think what we can, can say is that at least so far, our implantations in our own laboratory in terms of the mouse-to-mouse have been done mostly near the interscapular area, thinking that maybe the high vascularization in that area and maybe innervation as well might improve the implants. But we, we, we haven't noticed any differences if we have slightly different locations. But again, it's a good question. I think it needs further work to determine whether or not there may be areas that are particularly prone to high efficiency in terms of the Beijing process. Fantastic. Yeah, great answer. Interesting question here. Could you overexpress UCP1 using CRISPR and Cas9? And do you know if this could improve Beijing? Yeah, very good question. I should have mentioned this. There's so many labs that have contributed to this area. Uh, the Tseng lab at Harvard has published a very nice paper showing that upregulation of UCP1 alone is also effective in enhancing glucose uh, homeostasis in mice when implanted back into mice. So this is a very exciting finding, indicating that UCP1 itself has a number of effects, perhaps including the secretion of factors, which were also discovered in that paper by the Tseng lab. And so I think this is an interesting, uh, interesting point to be made. I would also, though, mention that the knockout of NRIP1, of course, upregulates UCP1, but many other genes as well. So we feel that the NRIP1 is particularly valuable 
in terms of a target for long-term therapeutics. And of course, we have a long way to go in terms of being able to determine whether this approach would ultimately be able to be brought all the way into clinical trials or not. But I think the uh, the point made here by that question is a good one. And UCP1 by itself seems to be able to initiate a number of events, including the secretion of factors that are very valuable here. So, so good point. Yeah, really interesting. Another good question here. Did you keep any of your NRIP knockout implanted mice alive for longer than 16 weeks? And do you know if there's any concern of these brown adipocytes depleting or at least significantly reducing the energy reservoir capacity on a whole body scale if kept there for an extended period of time? Or would these cells regulate themselves over time? Yeah, good question. We haven't gone too much longer than the several months that I showed in these slides because we've sacrificed the animals to, for analysis, but we are doing that, doing that currently. But we haven't noticed any deleterious effects uh, of the implants over those several months. And I think uh, we need to do, you know, longer term experiments to fully be able to answer that, uh, that excellent question. We're hopeful, of course, that the implants in mice would go out a year or even more and be effective. But the analysis of the implant that I did show by light, uh, light sheet microscopy does show that there are numerous cells that are highly expressing the UCP1 over those several months, suggesting that long-term survival of these implants in the beige state seem, seem possible. Excellent. Okay, next question. Are there other thermogenic suppressor genes that might serve as even better targets to enhance beijing of white adipose tissue? Yeah, good point. There are uh, several suppressor genes that have been published over the years, perhaps a dozen or two, that either through modulating differentiation or modulating other pathways seem to enhance uh, UCP1 expression when they're knocked out. And we're currently involved in looking at combinations of knockouts of these other genes. Uh, we haven't so far been able to really extend the Beijing very dramatically by these knockouts. But as I mentioned, we were able to extend the Beijing very dramatically by activating cyclic AMP pathway as well. So we are now focusing on ways we might be able to enhance the cyclic AMP pathway by gene knockouts. And the obvious ones would be PDE, for example, phosphodiesterase. We're looking at that as well as other genes in the cyclic AMP pathway that suppress cyclic AMP or PKA activity, protein kinase A activity. So I think there's a lot, plenty of potential for developing further lines of investigation by multiple knockouts. And we're hoping to really uh, do that over the next year. Yeah, definitely sounds like a really exciting avenue of research there. Next question here. Amazing work. How many cells are transplanted and what are the effects, if any, or what are the effects, if any, that come from the thyroid hormone? Interesting question. Okay, good point in terms of the number of cells that are implanted, because this really, you know, relates to is this ever possible in terms of a human therapy? It turns out that in the experiments that I've described, for the most part, there's several million cells implanted, maybe up to 10 million cells implanted per implant. And in the mouse experiments, there are two implants that we do actually uh, near, nearby uh, each other. And, and it's in that range, roughly in that range. In humans, the amount of beige or brown fat has been estimated. It's not impossible to estimate it exactly, obviously. But some of the estimates are around 50 grams of beige fats. That's about, you know, 0.1% of the weight of an individual. So fairly small amount of beige adipocytes or beige fat 
is present. And if it is therapeutic, means that perhaps a relatively doable amount of implantation of you know, fully beige adipocytes could be very effective, even in larger animals or, or humans. So it's a really interesting question. We need to do more work in terms of how much of an implant is required to give maximal uh, metabolic effects. And again, those experiments are underway and really important. Fantastic. Next question here. Do you think doing an ex vivo UCP1 induction using drugs rather than just CRISPR would have similar benefits once reintroduced to mouse or humans, uh, including lower systemic toxicity if a drug is given orally? Yeah, interesting idea. I think what the idea is that uh, one would treat with a pharmaceutical the ex vivo adipose tissue prior to implantation. I think that's what the impl implication of the question was. Of course, if that were the case, it would have to be a treatment that were permanent. And so the, the upregulation of UCP1 and all the other beige-associated genes would be maintained. Is this a therapeutic uh, possibility in terms of oral delivery of a pharmaceutical that could maintain beige? That would be a terrific approach and is a, is a terrific approach. It is being uh, worked on currently, but I think there are other tissues that may be responding either on target or off target to beta-3 agonists and so forth. So there's a lot, lot more work to be done, I think, in that, that realm prior to really being able to move into a therapeutic mode. Fantastic. Okay, here's one. Do you consider that all drugs or interventions that lead to UCP1 upregulation could be acting through NRIP1 or, or be requiring this suppressor? Yeah, I don't think so. I think that there are, you know, many ways to, many roads to UCP1, so to speak. I already mentioned that the NRIP1 pathway is very distinct from the cyclic AMP pathway. Um, I think they're probably, you know, we know there are other pathways that regulate UCP1 as well. So I think that the excitement here is that because there are so many ways of upregulating UCP1, and it's, by the way, it's not only UCP1, it's a number of other genes that are beneficial, beneficial, NRG, for example, and many others, that I think that the potential here for multiple targeting, I think is particularly encouraging under these conditions. And really our lab is devoted. I think if there's one approach, one question that our lab is devoted to among the many others is the question, can we target multiple genes to bring in vitro a system of adipocytes that are mixed all the way to a full brown phenotype. That would be the goal so that we can optimize the, the beijing and the browning prior to implantation. Perfect. Okay, interesting question here. Do you know if, does cold exposure have any effect on NRIP1 suppression? Do you know if there's a connection there? Yeah, good question. There are some effects on NRIP1 but not so dramatic as one might think that the effects are being mediated through NRIP1. And I, I would remind uh, everyone and, and ourselves that the NRIP1, of course, expression level isn't the only modality whereby NRIP1 can modify a gene expression. There's There are many other covalent and even non-covalent mechanisms that can modify NRIP140 activity. So I think we have to be careful of equating simply the expression levels with the activity. But I think, again, it raises a really exciting question, and that is, you know, what are all the modulations on RIP140 that uh, modulate its activity? And I guess, you know, this is, again, and I think based on the data we're showing here, it's a really important question, I think, for the field to address. 
Yeah, certainly. And I think in the interest of time, we'll just try to squeeze in a few last questions here. What is the the role of adipocyte differentiation with regards to obesity and type 2 diabetes? Yeah, I think this is a really excellent question because the progenitors physiologically, of course, are going to be critically important in terms of the numbers of adipocytes that ultimately are expressed, the types of adipocytes that are expressed, in which depots they are expressed. So I think this issue of adipocyte differentiation and the amazing heterogeneity of differentiation and heterogeneity of adipocyte types, I should say, is really an area that's really fertile and very active right now. And I think the degrees to which different types of progenitors are differentiated under which physiological conditions and in which locations are going to be a key factor in metabolic health. So this is a great question in a great area. Fantastic. We talked a bit about where grafts could be implanted, but maybe you just could clarify, where are the adipocyte grafts being implanted? And is the region innervated and vascularized? And do the grafts enhance innervation and vascularization? Again, the work that we have done is mostly in the interscapular or below the interscapular area, and where we hope that the innervation and vascularization may be, if not maximal, at least optimized. We don't have a clear analysis of the vascularization or innovation in our laboratory. I think those kind of data are um, being developed very strongly in other labs, and in particular in the Corvera laboratory. I think there's you know, very exciting data coming out of that laboratory along these lines. But I think we have evidence, surely, that there is some innovation and certainly some vascularization, and probably that's really required for optimizing the overall in, uh, survival of the implant. So again, it's an opportunity, I think, for raising the issue of how can we find genes that optimize those aspects of adipose tissue survival and a development into an adipose tissue depot under these conditions. I think that's an exciting area, again, underdeveloped, and I think it's going to be really fun to look further into this point. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, we'll make this next question the last one. Uh, but how does Beijing on a certain fat depot, uh, for example, in the vicinity of the pancreas or liver or kidney, uh, how might that uh, influence the function of nearby organs? Yeah, good question. We don't really have information ourselves on, on that question. It is true that adipocytes are being found in the you know, the strangest corners, including in the pancreas, and so that the juxtaposition of adipocytes to other cell types and other organs, I think, are, is a really important question. But we unfortunately, we ourselves don't really have direct information on, on that important question. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.